0: It's gonna be messy and you are probably tired and stressed out when you're when you end up cooking with your kids. So try to have a you know, sense of humor and patience and remember that you're making a memory and an experience. That is a beautiful thing. I picked up the phone and I called the pediatrician
1: and she said if she stops breathing, take her to the ER. I thought my heart was gonna stop.
2: Hello, Faith here. And guess what? It's time for Stroller Coaster, the podcast that takes you on the wild ride of parenting created by Munchkin. I think that every single parent has photos or a video of the first time you give your baby solid food. And you know, I was thinking back to when my young my son, my youngest had it was it was cream of wheat, it was very old school and it was it, and as a new parent it's all very exciting and it's all very messy and you stick the food in the mouth and you say, "Oh, you're so big. How does that feel? How does it taste?" And I remember feeling triumphant and then I realized, "Oh, I'm going to have to do this three times a day." And oh, at some point pretty soon you have to give them more than one ingredient, right? Because when you're feeding baby Justin, you know what I'm yeah, talking oh, about, hear. right? When when you start out feeding babies, you can only, you're, you're testing for food allergies, yeah. right? So you can only give them one mushed thing at a time. And then soon you have to give them two mushed things. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was, I, it didn't take very long for me to realize that like, oh, f- n- feeding this person is gonna take up a lot of my life
3: <laughs> yeah exactly plus like it goes from like oh look uh they tried sweet potatoes look at their faces like um can you just give these beans a shot give these beans a shot for me kid
2: <laughs> I'm, right and you run out of vehicles to pretend that the spoon is to get it in their 100%. mouth yeah. and um and so I think that thinking about food the food we eat the food we eat with our children the food we want our children to eat it's it's a huge part of parenting.
3: Oh, 100%. I feel like I'm constantly just thinking of elaborate, almost pranks to get my kids to eat. <laughs> I'm like uh, punking them to be like, so beans, what they do is that they make your hair long. And I'm like, what am I? I'm just like straight up making up <laughs> what, whatever tricks. But it, I mean, it does. I will say broccoli has become a staple because my kids are oh. like, well, broccoli makes your hair. You can get mermaid hair if you eat broccoli. And so. We've
2: Why didn't you tell me I'm this? I'm so sorry. I didn't. But Faith,
3: eat more uh, broccoli. It gives you mermaid hair.
2: So I guess the question is, when it comes to food and nutrition, what do we need to know? We'll do our best to answer that question. We're going to get some great tips for ways to navigate feeding our children from Tanya Steele, who created the Healthy Lunchtime Challenge with Michelle Obama. And we'll hear about a mom's journey after she discovered her daughter had life-threatening food allergies. And wrap it all up with a moment of calm. Stay right here. Tanya Steele is a global leader in the food world. She created the Healthy Lunchtime Challenge and Kids State Dinner with former First Lady Michelle Obama, was an editor at Bon Appetit magazine, and wrote the award-winning book Real Food for Healthy Kids. Tanya, that's, um, that is a very truncated version of all the things you have done and, and continue to do. Um, w- would you like to sort of illuminate that for us, like where you see yourself in the food and family world?
0: I see myself as you know a, a low cog on the food chain, so to speak, um, but my whole passion has been my entire life about getting kids into the kitchen to eat and cook healthfully. So kind of everything that I've done revolves around that. So I was an editor at Food & Wine and Bon Appetit, and I ran Epicurious, I wrote three books, and now I'm work, running something called Careers Through the Culinary Arts Program, and we teach 15,000 kids in six cities uh, across the country how to cook so they can get a job in the food sector.
2: Well, your name, Tanya, I can't be the first person to tell you that Tanya Steele sounds like a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> I, kind of, I kind of think you are. So um, let's get into this. And I, I will tell you, I'm, I'm honored to talk to you. And also, I should confess at the top that most or many of my shortcomings as a parent, I think, revolve around cooking and food as overlaps with my kids. So maybe, maybe you can hold my hand and help me through that.
0: You know, I don't believe you just because if you're thinking about it, then you're doing a you know a great job.
2: <laughs> oh, well, you're, well, you're very kind. Let's dig in and, and see if that holds. What would you say the number one misconception parents have about feeding their young children is?
0: You know what they think of their kids in the way maybe that they were brought up, and so they underestimate their palates. So I would really advise every parent out there, whether you're dealing with babies young kids, older kids, to be experimental with your kids. Let them explore the world of food. It's actually um, much easier now than it used to be because now in a food court, for instance, kids are so used to seeing Chinese next to Japanese, next to Thai, next to Vietnamese. Um, Next to
2: Indian. Next to
0: Indian, next to salads, next to barbecue. And so for them, the world world of food is actually much larger than it was when I was growing up, for instance.
2: And I'm sure food from different cultures can bring up lots of interesting family conversations.
0: A hundred percent. It's such, you know, that food is such a, a global melting pot as this country is. And that's actually one of the things I was trying to do in my book, Food Fight, was really unite the notion that um, we are a one big world with many different flavors and many different histories. And we really need to appreciate that. So getting kids really interested in food, um, that will be a way to get them interested in math and science and history. Um, you know, I'll, I'll never forget taking my kids once we, I always used to, Save, you know, every penny I could and spend it on a trip. That was what I. My, that was my luxury once a year. And so once we went to China and we took my boys who were probably twelve. My kids had this incredible time, and then one decided when he came back, I want to learn Mandarin. And now this is a twenty-three-year-old that can speak almost fluent Mandarin because of that wow. trip to China and it because it was ignited by him loving dumplings.
2: And I want to back up to something you 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 casually listed, which is that. Cooking with your kids can help them learn math, science, and history. Those are three really big deals. And if somebody's like, wait, how? Well, the math comes in, you can start fractions early, right?
0: Absolutely. Saying, what's two cups plus two cups? You're going to show it. Let's. We're going to do it visually, and you're going to see that equals four. I mean, in every age group, you can really teach them math, science, and history, and and language. I mean, using the, the Indian name for... Um, What's my favorite dish? The um, paluk paneer, for instance, which I've just butchered, I'm sure. But, um, you know, just like using all of these things, integrating, just being creative when you're with your kid and doing it with a sense of humor and not worrying about the mess. Because at the end of the day, it's going to be messy and you are probably tired and stressed out when you're when you end up cooking with your kids so try to have a you know sense of humor and patience and remember that you're making a memory and an experience <sighs> that is a beautiful thing
2: that is such advice that I need to hear over and over. um, So here's my big confession. I'm almost 50 and I don't know how to cook. I can bake almost anything. I know that sounds weird. And so when I finally enroll my kids in baking, which they're thrilled to do, half of my brain is like, oh my gosh, they're making such a mess. Oh my gosh, you're making, no, let me do that. No, that's not how you measure the baking soda. And every single time I have to remember what you just said, which is the mess is, is, It's part of the game. It's part of the game, and this is a memory. Exactly, (laughs) the mess is memory. (laughs) Exactly,
0: and it's part for the kids. It's part of the joy, you know. Like who doesn't love to be in sand and mud, and you know, I mean, getting your hands in wet dough. So that's part of the like the tactile enjoyment for kids. So you do kind of have to go with it and not worry about the mess. You'll go clean it up.
2: Now. If you don't like certain foods as a parent or, or have some types of food allergy, should you be feeding those foods to your kids?
0: Well, I would always caveat everything with, you know, check with your pediatrician first, 100%. But... I will say that picky eaters are, it's generally a learned, not a uh, a dietary issue, so um, I would encourage picky eater parents to not bring that into their kids' lives. One thing I always say is, if you want your kids to eat healthfully, you need to model it yourself. It starts with you. So if if you're standing there in the kitchen and giving them broccoli, but you don't like broccoli and you're like, ugh, or you know, somebody comes in and says, oh, I don't like that smell, that's not a good message. Um, you know, this kid would be dipping broccoli and hummus ordinarily, but you have just stopped them from doing that. You know, how, do you, how did you know that you would love brownies the first time you tasted them? They're a brown, weird thingy when you look at it and you're like, ooh, that doesn't look so good. But when you taste you're like, oh, my God, I know, I know why I'm here now on this planet. It's to eat brownies. So it's the same thing. Do you with-
2: live in my brain?
0: <laughs> so it's the same thing with any kind of food.
2: How do you prevent mealtime from becoming a food fight, as, as you say, as yep. the title of a book, a battle? If if you're trying to get kids to eat healthfully, and that's perhaps not in their nature, I may or may not be thinking about my eight-year-old son.
0: <laughs> well, one thing is to not tie food up with emotion. Um, I think that's something that's very important. Um, you know, so many of us have grown up using food as kind of a, a solace, and that's not a great thing to do, um, as we all know <laughs> during this pandemic pandemic, many of us have fallen into that trap. So I I would really recommend not insisting on the clean plate club. Kids are like cats, you know, they'll eat what they want, and then they're full, and that you should let them listen to their Internal monitor about when they're full. So when they're full, they're full. But I would also say, not have junk food in the house. Um, juices that are sugary don't need to be in the house. You know, just generally things that are are not good. My one of my models is if I can't pronounce it, then I don't want it in my body. So you know, things that are like highly processed, you don't want to give. That way, you're already introducing kids to whatever they want to eat that's in the house is good for them so they can eat what they want. So that's a way to not make it a battle.
2: Does what you just say kind of um, preclude giving kids dessert? Dessert that is not fruit? Not at
0: all. I am a huge... uh, I mean, I do not see the point of living without dessert. So (laughs) um, no, I believe in dessert. I have dessert every night of my life, but it's healthier desserts. So it's like dark chocolate something, or chia pudding, or, you know, chocolate-covered bananas, or, you know, all different types of things, just things that are less processed, less sugary.
2: Now, here's another one of my confessions. Uh, I know this, Tanya. I know you're not supposed to offer food as a reward. And yet, the only way to get my son, not my daughter, but my son to eat vegetables is to say, I'm sorry, you can't have any dessert. You can't have a treat today unless you have some vegetables because they're really good for your body and your body needs them. Did did I do it all wrong?
0: <laughs> well, you didn't do it wrong, but I think there's a way to do a little bit of a course correct in that you good. need to find with him vegetables that he likes. So obviously...
2: <laughs> oh, oh, I know, I've tried, but go ahead.
0: Okay, no, I mean, there's all these different things that maybe if you include him in the cooking of whatever it is, so maybe it's sweet potatoes which are delicious to everybody and are superfood, so maybe you two makes uh you know roasted sweet potatoes one day and you drizzle some a little maple syrup and some sea salt on it and stick it in the oven Aww. yum 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 that would be delicious and then he takes out and he's like oh my goodness this is the most delicious thing i've ever had that's a vegetable one thing that i should really tell everyone is that it does take a child's palate up to 12 times um, to taste something in order for them to to start to kind of appreciate it and understand it. So in my house, we had already always instituted the no thank you bite, um, where they needed to just to try something new twelve up to 12 times before. And if they didn't like it after 12, I was like, no worries. You don't like Brussels sprouts. Gotcha. I will never give it to you again.
2: Can you give us some more ways uh, to get kids to want to eat healthfully?
0: I think the biggest way uh, um, is the most obvious is really getting kids to take power over their food and their, their diet or making them feel like they're taking power, which means saying to them, you know, I think that you should plan dinners on Wednesday night or whatever it is, you know, and you can say this to a four-year-old, you know, and the four-year-old will say, you know, macaroni and cheese or something. And then you could make a healthy macaroni and cheese saying to them, you choose and we're gonna make it together. And so getting them, you know, taking them to the supermarket and buying the ingredients, taking them into the kitchen and you giving them age appropriate tasks. You make that dinner together, and then the two of you or three of you or four of you or however many you are sit down and eat it and really kind of revel over. It. And, and you introduce the pleasantries of uh, the leave it to beaver of kind of like and how was your day? Tell me about what happened mm-hmm. in second grade, you know? And that is a moment, so it feels, you're introducing the mo- the, the notion of mealtime being pleasurable and family time and talking about interesting things that are happening.
2: Tanya, at what age can can you get your kids into the kitchen?
0: Uh, I'm going to say really at any age. I mean, obviously babies are uh, a little bit more difficult, but um, I think as soon as they are toddlers, you can get them in and you just give them things that they can do that are easy. So for instance, stirring uh, with a wooden, spoon in a bowl a plastic bowl like stirring something would be super Mm -hmm. fun for them. Um, Shredding lettuce is super easy for them. So there are different things that you could do depending on the age. Um, But I really do think as soon as they can really kind of talk and walk pretty easily and understand and follow directions so like two or three that's when you're fine to bring them in and have them do little tasks.
2: And finally, Tanya, what what is just to prove you're human? What is the most indulgent food that you eat?
0: Oh my goodness! Well, I try to keep myself to only two or three times a week, but it's peanut butter ice cream.
2: Wow. Okay. Uh, peanut butter. Now, now you've got us all hungry. Yeah. Um, I cannot thank you enough, Tanya Steele. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: My pleasure, Faith. So great to see you.
2: Justin. Did you just hear her say that kids have to be offered a food 12 times? I feel like I need a chart on the wall to be like, okay, kid, you've tried this nine and yeah. a half times. you got three more.
3: Yeah, exactly. You've got <laughs> three more rejections here, and then it's go time on yeah. these uh, Brussels sprouts.
2: One of the biggest topics when it comes to our kids and food is allergies. Life for Lorraine Allen as a new mom seemed to be perfectly normal until the moment she discovered her daughter had food allergies and they were life-threatening. Here's Fleece with our parenting story of the day.
4: Lorraine Allen took her daughter to her nine-month well baby visit. She was a little low on iron, so the pediatrician recommended introducing eggs.
1: I went home and I was excited to try something new. And I scrambled it up. You know, it took two seconds, and I sat down my daughter who was starving. And I gave her a bite of the food, which was literally half the size of my pinky fingernail. And the second it seemed like the second it hit her mouth, she just started screaming and crying and reaching for me. And I thought I had, I thought the food was too hot, but the food wasn't hot. So... I picked her up, and I noticed she started turning red, her face, and I noticed some red bumps on her hands and arms, and I thought, oh, a mosquito bite, that's weird, and then I was like, oh, there's like five more, and they're all over her, so I didn't know what was happening, and I picked up the phone, and I called the pediatrician, and I told her what was happening, and then I just fed her the egg, and she said, you know, run to the pharmacy get her some Benadryl. She told me the dose to give her. And she said, if she stops breathing, take her to the ER. I thought my heart was going to stop actually. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I ran to the pharmacy. I gave her the Benadryl. I worked really quickly. From there, the pediatrician then sent me to an allergist. He diagnosed her with a severe egg allergy along with a handful of other life
4: threatening food allergies. She explained that the allergies weren't just a food intolerance, they were life-threatening. Learning
1: that my daughter's life was on the line and would be on the line, basically anytime she ate anything for the foreseeable future, if not forever, was really just life-changing. So, yeah, the life-threatening aspect of it really was a game-changer, not just
4: in terms of caring for her, but in terms of how we led our lives from that moment on. She was told never to be more than an hour from the hospital. So international travel and things like camping were out of the question. She had to learn how to clearly communicate her daughter's allergies to teachers and parents. And she had to figure out what to do about food. Life changed in basically every way after that.
1: The first major way was that I you know, learned really quickly that I'd have to prepare all my daughter's food from scratch mostly. From that moment on and over the next decade, I would spend a couple hours a week just looking at um, food packaging in supermarket aisles because I had to read the fine print. And an allergist gave me a tip early on because it was just so terrifying and overwhelming. She said, read every label three times. And that was actually some of the best advice and kind of In hindsight, some of the most comforting advice anyone ever gave me because that gave me my first little bit of control back over the situation. I can't tell you how many times that saved me because the fine print on food packaging is so little. And when you're tired and you're a new parent and you're overwhelmed, and you know, sometimes my daughter would be with me in the store like screaming or wanting to run away or whatever, and you're, you're doing everything in a rush, before I went and fed it to her, before I even opened the box, I would read the label three more times. One of the other ways our lives changed was that I started avoiding, you know, streets with bakeries and streets with ice cream parlors and all sorts of yummy things that I knew she couldn't
4: enjoy. And I would just kind of take note and walk home a different way. She also learned about trace contamination. An example from Lorraine was if a piece of fruit was cut with the same knife that cut an egg, and her daughter ate the piece of fruit without knowing it, she could have a severe reaction. When a kid has serious allergies, the trace contamination is something
1: that's most terrifying and most difficult to manage for parents. It was almost like dealing with an invisible enemy in some ways, because it's not... It wasn't just the risk of someone handing her an egg salad sandwich or an ice cream with egg. It was more just, yeah, the invisibility of traces of things. So even with the EpiPens we carried around, those are not necessarily life-saving devices, what they do is they can buy you a few moments of time and that amount of time that you have is hopefully enough for you to get to a hospital or they can give her more long-term treatment until her body stops reacting to the
4: food. Lorraine was learning about this new world, finding solutions and taking action. Still, she was concerned about her daughter emotionally. What kept me up at night Anyway,
1: for years, honestly, like the first several years of uh, my daughter's life, was wondering how she was going to grow up and have just a normal, carefree and fun childhood. Because when going to the playground and going to a playdate or even Christmas or holidays become a threat to her. I spent a lot of time wondering how I could help her just kind of find joy and not grow up into a person who was just going to be worrying a lot and feeling isolated and Like she had to stay in a little bubble. That was the last thing I wanted. I was even more worried because in kindergarten was when she was going to be eating in the cafeteria and other kids were starting to pay attention to her food allergies and not always in the nicest way. Even friends of hers, good friends would sit next to her and say things like, oh, I have an egg in my hand and now I'm touching you and your food and now you could die you know, and then my daughter would not eat that day.
4: Then Lorraine got an idea from watching her daughter enjoy her toy kitchen. There's a German tradition. My
1: family's half German. And there's a German tradition of picking up your kid at the end of the first like day or week of kindergarten with a big cone, like this giant kind of cone the size of your child. And it's usually filled with sweets and, I don't know, little surprises, but I decided to fill it with baking utensils and just like sprinkles that were safe for her and an apron, like a little chef hat and all these things. And I kind of decided that my gift to her was going to be giving her back some control over her food allergies. She was just ecstatic. She was so happy. And I asked her if she wanted to open her own bakery. And she was. that was like the biggest hug she ever gave me in her life.
4: Lorraine's daughter even designed a logo for her bakery. And as they embarked on a baking adventure together, they made allergy-free treats for other kids' birthdays. They started getting so good at substituting ingredients with things that were safe, she was able to bake around whatever other food allergies there were in the class. For example, we can have eggs, but it's actually really easy to
1: use a little baking soda and vinegar instead of an egg. When you're making cupcakes or anything, and it kind of fizzes, it's almost like this magical concoction. It feels like you're a mad scientist or something. And the cakes turn out delicious. They're really moist, and they're really fluffy, and you can't taste the difference at all. So she became like this kind of little mini
4: master chef, and she was really excited about it. Lorraine's daughter is almost a teenager now and has actually outgrown all of her food allergies. She said her daughter is so confident knowing how to take care of herself, whether she's cooking for herself, a friend or their family.
1: I asked her the other day how she felt about that now, you know, like 10 years later, because we really haven't talked about that transition or that moment of her first starting to cook and take over the kitchen on her own at that young age. And I said, do you remember that? And she said, yeah, I do. And I said, "Uh, was it helpful? Her answer was actually really interesting because she said, yeah, it was really helpful. And I said, why? Because you got to bake like a million cupcakes. And she said, no, because I ended up in hindsight, not really realizing that I was limited by my food allergies at all. There were so many things we were making that she could enjoy that I guess it really did kind of fill that void. Uh, for her. So that was nice to hear.
4: When we asked Lorraine if she had any advice from her experience, she recommended that families don't get too bogged down in the stress, to remember that there are always creative solutions out there. There were so many days that we spent in the kitchen that I felt like I was just wasting, you know,
1: flour and water, or I just wanted to rip my hair out because I was burning everything <laughs> or nothing tasted good. I've seen this with other parenting challenges along the way. There are always kind of ways around every massive mountain and if parents and kids can get there together i think it can be an amazing bonding experience too now when we look back on that time we don't look back on it with kind of a sense of regret at all or a sense of oh that was awful and instead we actually have all these wonderful memories of so many fun times that we spent creating delicious meals together and even traveling around the world from our kitchen
2: Justin, I complain about the fact that I just simply need to feed my kids several times a day. <laughs> and when I hear a story like this where like it's life or death the way she feeds her, her daughter.
3: I would be like uh, a hawk on everything and the fact that she was able yeah. to turn it into like to find a love of food rather than a fear, I would be terrified if I was that kid.
2: That's a beautiful way to put it that she managed to take this incredibly challenging, situation for a parent and turn it into like something that she she kind of celebrated with with her daughter
3: yeah and that to me and what a great because it it just makes it a thing Uh, rather than like uh this like anchor on your life like oh i'm so sorry i have all these things like oh actually i i'm cooking this tonight because um this is my favorite recipe it doesn't damage me and it's good for everyone like it that's so hard to do
2: It's time for parenting confessions. We're back at the playground to see what secrets parents will share with us today.
4: One of my best friends was having a lot of trouble potty training her daughter. So I pulled her kid aside and told her I wanted to take her to Disneyland, but I lied and said that Disneyland only took kids who were potty trained. That kid was potty trained within a week.
3: When my son asked me to sit in his room while he falls asleep, I tell him I have to go to the bathroom so he lets me leave without crying. And then he falls asleep on his own and then I go to sleep. One Christmas Eve we couldn't get our son in bed so I shouted, did you hear that? And I rushed outside
0: the door and brought back this present with his name on it and said, Santa's trying to land his sled but can't because you're not asleep. He rushed right upstairs and got in bed.
2: Got your own parenting confession? Send it to us at podcast at munchkin.com. We'd love to hear from you. Munchkin loves giving back. So this week we say, let the culinary journey begin. Enter to win one of ten Munchkin Food Adventure Splash Big Kid Dining Sets. These travel themed sets feature Munchkin feeding essentials, a food adventure map, their own food passport, and fun paper stickers. Be one of the first ten people to email the words food adventure to podcast at munchkin.com to win a kit for your tiny traveler. Hey! Thanks for sitting down to this Stroller Coaster meal with us. That's the show. If you want more information about any of our guests, check out StrollerCoaster.com. Thank you to Munchkin for helping us put this together. No wonder they're the most loved baby brand in the world. You can buy all of your Munchkin products at Bye Bye Baby. At Stroller Coaster, we're all about community. So if you have a parenting confession story you'd like to share, a question, a topic you want to hear more about, don't hesitate to reach out to us at podcast at
3: Oh, uh, just a reminder, if you haven't checked out our other podcast, you should. It's called Stroller Coaster Storytime, and that's our storytelling podcast for parents and children to enjoy together. It's a short, fun, and creative take on children's stories performed by improv actors and directed by a kid. It's right here in the same feed, so go get it.
2: And now, something every parent can use, a timeout for you. Munchkin passionately supports many causes that help care for our planet and invites you to spend a little time now on a sailboat in one of our beautiful oceans. Enjoy. See you next time on Stroller Coaster.